Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1312. Update on the destabilization of China. This is being recorded on September 11th of the year 2023. Uh, before we get into the main body of the program, several points. Uh, the newest flash drive has now been uh, completed. This is current as of uh, the late summer of 2023. The previous flash drive was through, for the record, 1215. It's almost two years ago. Uh, the flash drive has all of my uh, better part of half a century's work on it, both printed and audio, and it also features uh, all of the comments by Parafractal and other intelligent listeners and it uh, has a mini-library of old anti-fascist books available for download for free on easy-to-download uh, easy PDF files. And again, I get no money whatsoever from this. It's available for a very nominal, tax-deductible contribution. And I suppose the fact that I get no money for my life's work could be seen as proof positive that my worst critics are correct and I am nuts. In any event, the new flash drive is available. There are links at the top of each written for the record description and each food for thought post that will enable you to get that flash drive. And I emphatically encourage people to do that. I couldn't be more pessimistic about the future. And uh, I think, at the risk of sounding a little weird, it is incumbent on us as sentient beings to do what we can to preserve the historical record and to communicate what happened to future generations. Also at the top of each written for the record description and each food for thought post, there is a link that will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts of For the Record that are being made by sister station WFNU. So the podcasts are the best way for you to consume For the Record, and in our smartphone-dominated landscape, that is increasingly the case. Then again, sister station WFNU is podcasting For the Record. This is, of course, the anniversary of the September 11th attacks. Uh, in that regard, I want to mention that uh, the heroic Daniel Hopsicker passed away on August 22nd. I've done many, many interviews with Daniel Hopsicker and transcribed many of his uh, brilliant articles from the Mad Cow Morning News, uh, what I call the herd shot around the world. And, uh, well... Let's just say that uh, the world very much misses Daniel Hopsicker. I have not interviewed him in quite some time because our research had uh, uh, diverged in focus. But again, he did some of the, the very best work on the September 11th attacks. And his book, Welcome to Terrorland, is a, a must for anyone who is serious about the research. Um, anyway, so... Uh, Rest in peace, Daniel Hopsicker, along with the thousands of people who died in the September 11th attacks and the many hundreds of thousands, probably millions at this point, who died in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, in the aftermath of that event. And by the way, I've done tons of information about September 11th, uh, <laughs> massive, massive body of work on that. 
Now, in this program, we're going to be updating the destabilization of China, and in particular, once again, we're going to present information uh, about the fallacious claim that the Chinese are committing genocide or whatever, human rights violations against the Uyghurs. Uh, that is covered at length in for the record 1178, 1179, and 1180, among other programs. And I also went into it in the long series of shows about the narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang. Uh, alleged Chinese human rights violations uh, are against the Uyghurs are being cited uh, as the excuse for what appears to be basically uh, an economic and, frankly, uh, using biological warfare, an outright attack on China. I've done a huge series of programs about COVID-19, the Oswald Institute of Virology shows, the Pandemics Incorporated programs, the long series called BioPsyop Apocalypse Now, and uh, all of those shows, by the way, are available on the latest flash drive, so I emphatically encourage people to get a hold of that. Uh, something that is only tangential, well, not, not tangential, but something that is uh, uh, a, a, a good, once again, in, into what is going on uh, vis-a-vis China. Uh, an article from the Gray Zone of July 20th of 2023 by Alexander Rubenstein, um, called D.C. Uniparty Kills House Resolutions to End U.S. Emergency Powers in Iraq, Syria, Libya, and Yemen, and it mentions this little groovy. Yemen Rubber Emergency Declaration provides the authority for the U.S. government to test biological weapons on American citizens. U.S. code allows the president to suspend existing law on biological and chemical warfare in the event of a declared national emergency, and many of those have been declared. So uh, even if the truth were ever to uh, unravel about COVID-19 and the evidence that it was deliberately manufactured as a biological warfare weapon and uh, used to not only attack China and destabilize China, but uh, it might be termed the North Woods virus. It has been used to defame China and to provoke the American people against China. If, for the sake of argument, that ever was to, uh, the official story were to unravel, they could just say, well, it was a test that went, uh, awry. But I don't think the official story is going to unravel in this country, at least. The alleged oppression of the Uyghurs has been the excuse for a, a whole bunch of, uh, economic, uh, retaliation, or really a punishment of China, that is discussed in the New York Times magazine of July 16th of 2023. This is an article called The Silicon Blockade by Alex W. Palmer, and a couple of interesting paragraphs in that read as follows. With the October 7th export controls, the United States government announced its intent to cripple China's ability to produce or even purchase the highest-end chips. The logic of the measure was straightforward. 
advanced chips, and the supercomputers and AI systems they power enable the production of new weapons and surveillance apparatuses. In their reach and meaning, however, the measures could hardly have been more sweeping, picking aim at a target far broader than the Chinese security state. Quote, the key here is to understand that the U.S. wanted to impact China's AI industry, says Gregory C. Allen, director of the Wagwani Center for AI and Advanced Technologies at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. Wagwani is capital W-A-D-H-W-A-M-I. Quote, the Senecans, Dr. Stuff, is the means to the end. Now, note the next paragraph. Though delivered in the unassuming form of updated export controls, the October 7th controls essentially seek to eradicate, root and branch, China's entire ecosystem of advanced technology. Quote, The new policy embodied in October 7th is, Not only are we not going to allow China to progress any further technologically, we are going to actively reverse their current state of the art, unquote. Allen says, C.J. Muse, a senior semiconductor analyst at Evercore ISI, put it this way, quote, If you'd told me about these rules five years ago, I would have told you that's an act of war. We'd have to be at war. Well, uh, basically, we are. It is not a shooting war yet. Let's hope it doesn't get to that. But attacking someone with a biological warfare weapon is that, and, and that's well known in China. In fact, it is being taught to their school children. So uh, only here in uh, the bastion of darkness and ignorance, uh, the U.S. of A. is the official version. Whoops, it was uh, a lab leak, maybe, but maybe it was natural evolution. The virus does come from a lab. The lab wasn't in China, and it didn't effing leak. And that is discussed in many, many programs, the Wall series, the, the Oswald Institute of Virology. I believe the Wuhan Institute of Virology was set up to take the fall for the virus in a manner analogous to the way Lee Harvey Oswald was uh, set up as a communist and then killed before he could defend himself or uh, break his intelligence agent, U.S. intelligence agent cover. Uh Again, the alleged oppression of the Uyghurs is uh, a rationale, really a, a fantastic, and meaning that meaning it is a fantasy uh, that is being used to uh, attack the Chinese the Chinese economy. Uh, an article in the New York Times of Wednesday, August second of twenty twenty three: Solar sector ever murkier on its ties with China. A report faults companies for being less open amid human rights concerns. It's by Anna Swanson and Ivan Penn. And again, it's talking about uh, just the lead paragraph. Global supply chains for solar panels have begun shifting away from the heavy reliance on China, in part because of a recent ban on products from Xinjiang, a region where the U.S. government and the United Nations accused the Chinese government of committing human rights violations. And... uh, Typical of the propaganda in that regard is this editorial in the New York Times op-ed piece, really, in the New York Times of Sunday, July 30th of 2023. It's by Tahir Hamut Eskil, Let Our Tragedy Be a Lesson. And it's talking about the, the, the uh, massive injustice against the Uyghurs, etc., etc. Now, you'll notice that, that the New York Times article about... Uh, 
the solar panels of being uh, importing of them being restricted because of alleged oppression of the Uyghurs, it made a reference to a United Nations report. And that report is not as advertised. There is a good article in that on the John Menadu blog, blog, excuse me, John Menadu blog, uh, johnmenadu.com, uh, China Human Rights and Politics. The article is by Jerry Gray, J-E-R-R-Y, Gray, G-R-E-Y, from July 21st of 2023. OHCHR, quote, politicized, unquote, to make anti-China claims on Xinjiang. New report. And I'm going to take time to read this and break it down in some detail, because actually the report itself is deeply flawed. And the uh, introduction to the article, it isn't something we expect from an august body that forms part of the United Nations, but according to CoWest Pro Consultancy's recently released fourth paper, the report issued by the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, or OHCHR, on alleged atrocities in Xinjiang is, quote, of substandard quality and is not a reliable source for popular claims made in the West about the Xinjiang situation, unquote. Substandard quality is something of a euphemism. The article reads, after an in-depth analysis, and by the way, I'm going to repeat several key sections of this story because uh, they are important, and granted, given the extremely pedantic nature of this program, uh, or the extremely pedantic format of this program, uh, some of the uh, salient points might become somewhat obscured. Continuing here. After an in-depth analysis of the report, Co-West Pro's author, Jacques James, J-A-Q-J-A-M-E-S, that's a woman, maybe perhaps short for Jacqueline, points out that this, as with other institutional reports she has analyzed, increases the risks of errors in the fact-finding process. If there are crimes against humanity incurred, incurred, yeah, if there are crimes against humanity occurring in Xinjiang, those crimes deserve thorough research using reliable methodologies to reach conclusions that can stand up to third-party scrutiny. The OHCHR has failed in this. James is a legal researcher. She does not claim there is no oppression or persecution in Xinjiang, but that the allegations we read in most media which cite reports such as this do not prove the case. She asserts that, as part of the UN, the OHCHR should hold itself to higher standards, but has instead been politicized to make certain anti-China points. She references former Australian Prime Minister Paul Keating, who, quite rightly, stated the allegations of human rights are, quote, disputed, unquote. Opaque sampling, that's an, an understatement, opaque sampling Low interview numbers and insufficient verification of witness statements have been extrapolated by the OHCHR to reach conclusions of widespread and systematic human rights abuses. The long-held belief that there have been upwards of 800,000, perhaps as many as a million Uyghurs, some report it could be as many as 2 million held in detentions, is famously taken from an an extrapolation of just 
eight individuals, while at the same time, a complete sentence, the long-held belief that there have been upwards of 800,000, perhaps as many as a million Uyghurs, some report it could be as many as 2 million held in detentions, is famously taken from an extrapolation of just eight individuals. While at the same time, the OHRHC admits that they interviewed just 40 people, so the likelihood of meeting requirements for unbiased opinions are very slim, particularly when those interviewed are outside of the region and no evidence of samples from within the region was offered. One more time. While at the same time, the OHRHC well, at the same time, the OHRHC admits that they interviewed just 40 people, so the likelihood of meeting requirements for unbiased opinions are very slim, particularly when those interviewed are outside of the region and no evidence of samples from within the region was offered. One more time. While at the same time, the OHRHC admits that they interviewed just 40 people, so the likelihood of meeting requirements for unbiased opinions are very slim, particularly when those interviewed are outside of the region and no evidence of samples from within the region was offered. James compares those 40 to the hundreds of interviewees and reports by the Human Rights Special Reporters assert crimes in Myanmar to, to demonstrate a precedent for a reliable research methodology. If the goal is to assert with certainty that something has happened, then language matters. When the OHCHR mentions on page 17 something known as the Caracax List as a, quote, document which is in the public domain appearing to be a government document, possibly from 2019, and highly likely to be authentic, it is clear that they have not proven that such assertions are true. In fact, the OHCHR makes no mention that the Chinese government had denied such a list and accused the producers of fabrication, stating that the people mentioned on it are normal members of society. The OHCHR indicates nine times that the information they received is, quote, likely, unquote, or highly likely, unquote, two times, to be authentic without establishing beyond a doubt that it is, but concedes in the footnote that the Chinese government denied the authenticity of some information related to satellite imagery. The OHCHR report uses the word may, unquote, in the context of something that might have happened a total of 35 times. The word appears, unquote, is used eight times, suggests, unquote, on five different occasions, and reportedly, unquote, is used 11 times. This is not the language of certainty, nor does it convey truth or reality. This language is used to insinuate rather than to assert it is the kind of language used by media to avoid potential legal problems, if later proven to be wrong, which makes it all the curious and unnecessary, since the UN cannot be sued by the Chinese government. These last two paragraphs again. The OHCHR indicates nine times that the information they received is, quote, likely, unquote, or, quote, 
highly likely twice to be authentic without establishing beyond a doubt that it is, but concedes in a footnote that the Chinese government denied the authenticity of some information related to satellite imagery. The OHCHR reports the OHCHR report uses the word may, unquote, in the context of something that might have happened a total of 35 times. The word appears, unquote, is used eight times, suggests, unquote, on five different occasions, and reportedly, unquote, is used 11 times. This is not the language of certainty, nor does it convey truth or reality. This language is used to insinuate rather than to assert, it is the kind of language used by media to avoid potential legal problems if later proven to be wrong, which makes it all the more curious and unnecessary since the UN cannot be sued by the Chinese government. The citations and footnotes are another area of concern. It is highly unusual for a citation in any academic report to include references to private social media accounts even when, and perhaps particularly when, that individual works for a think tank. Yet, think tankers' social media accounts were referenced twice. Furthermore, this next paragraph is really important. Furthermore, the lack of input from the Global South is another cause for concern. Once in 2019, again the month before the release of the OHCHR report, and twice since in January and May of 2023, there have been visits to the regions by Islamic leaders. It is well known, but worth noting, that no Islamic country has criticized China for human rights abuses, and despite many visits, none have alleged crimes against humanity by China. James highlights that only, quote, Western sources, unquote, pass the OHCHR gatekeepers, an indicator of Western bias often found in international law. And again, um, this is worth noting, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is pretty ticklish about oppression of Muslims, uh, they have backed China on this. Furthermore, the lack of input from the global south is another cause for concern. Once in 2019, again the month before the release of the OHCHR report, and twice since in January and May of 2023, there have been visits to the regions by Islamic leaders. It is well known but worth noting that no Islamic country has criticized China for human rights abuses, and despite many visits, none have alleged crimes against humanity by China. James highlights that only, quote, Western sources, unquote, past the OHCHR gatekeepers, an indicator of Western bias often found in international law. I will also note it also is kind of ironic uh, in light of, uh, as, as we read this on September 11th that uh, uh, the West is bellyaching about uh, alleged Chinese oppression of Muslims. Uh, the aftermath of what took place in September 11th, I think, speaks for itself. Skipping down. China has implemented counterterrorism and counter-extremism laws, which James acknowledges were well analyzed by the OHCHR. Having done so, it is clear that there are large bodies of the international community, unquote, who have issues with the implementation of those laws, and those issues need to be addressed, investigated, analyzed, and reported as thoroughly as possible. 
Yet, as far as all four co-West Pro papers clearly indicate, this has not been done to any acceptable standard. Other points of concern about the OHCHR report are the timing of its release and the lack of attribution. Note this. Other points of concern about the OHCHR report are the timing of its release and the lack of attribution. The High Commissioner, Michelle Bachelet, visited China, including Xinjiang. She had criticisms, but through the UN, reported her optimism for future cooperation with China. That optimism was dashed by this report being released around midnight on her last day in office and without any signature or commentary from her. Interestingly, it is not signed by anyone, let alone anyone in authority. The authors, like many of the witnesses, remain anonymous. We got eight interviews in that in that uh, report. One more time. Other points of concern about the OHCHR report are the timing of its release and the lack of attribution. The High Commissioner, Michelle Bachelet, visited China, including Xinjiang. She had criticisms, but through the UN, reported her optimism for future cooperation with China. That optimism was dashed by this report being released around midnight on her last day in office and without any signature or commentary from her. Interestingly, it is not signed by anyone, let alone by anyone in authority. The authors, like many of the witnesses, remain anonymous. Again, it's not signed by anyone. The authors are anonymous. Uh, the language is oblique. And the number of interviews is extremely low, and no one in the in, in the region was interviewed. Uh, the point person, by the way, on the, the China's oppressing the Uyghurs and the Uyghur genocide is a German national named Adrian Zenz, whom his associates in the uh, Uyghur movement referred to as, quote, the CIA agent, unquote. He's also a senior fellow with the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. That is a direct offshoot of the Captive Nations Committee that was founded by Lev Dobriansky of the OUNB and also Yaroslav Svetsko, the wartime head of the Ukrainian collaborationist government, of the, the Nazi collaborationist government in Ukraine. Basically, the uh, uh, stuff about the Uyghur genocide uh, is coming from the same source as uh, the uh, post-Maidan regime in uh in Ukraine. Continuing, James has demonstrated that until investigated thoroughly in a manner that would stand up to public, peer, and legal scrutiny, anyone using OHCHR report ASPI's Uyghurs for Sale, the Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch reports, or the findings of the Uyghur Tribunal as their sources of information to prove wrongdoing on the part of China, would be likely to uncover legitimate disputes as to their veracity. Whatever is happening in Xinjiang, James points out that the reports published and widely amplified by media do not sufficiently make the case that international law is being breached there. They prove only that some people believe it may be. And again, uh, note some of the key elements of this. Uh, note that the, uh, the the interviews are taken from eight 
interviewed with eight individuals. Uh, and the some report would say the the the, the 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 information disinformation basically that upwards of eight hundred thousand or as many as a million Uyghurs or two million are being held in detention comes from the from just eight individuals. And, it says, and while at the same time the OHRHC admits that they interviewed just 40 people, so the likelihood of meeting requirements for unbiased opinions are very slim, particularly when those interviewed are outside of the region and no evidence of samples from within the region was offered. And uh, the language, again, the... the if the goal is to assert with certainty that something has happened, then language matters. When the OHCHR mentions something known as the Caracax List as a, quote, document which is in the public domain appearing to be a government document, possibly from 2019, and highly likely to be authentic, unquote, it is clear that they have not proven that such assertions are true. In fact, the OHCHR makes no mention of the, that the Chinese government have denied such a list and accused the producers of fabrication, stating that the people mentioned on it are normal members of society. The OHCHR indicates nine times that the information they received is, quote, likely, unquote, or, quote, highly likely, twice, to be authentic without establishing beyond a doubt that it is, but concedes in the footnote that the Chinese government denied the authenticity of some information related to satellite imagery. The OHCHR report uses the word made in the context of something that might have happened a total of 35 times. The word appears, unquote, is used eight times, suggests, unquote, on five different occasions, and reportedly, unquote, is used 11 times. And as uh, the paper notes, this is not the language of certainty, nor does it convey truth or reality. This language is used to insinuate rather than to assert. It is a kind of language used by media to avoid potential legal problems if later proven to be wrong, which makes it all the more curious and unnecessary since the UN cannot be sued by the Chinese government. The citations and footnotes are another area of concern. It is highly unusual for a citation in any academic report to include references to private social media accounts, even when, perhaps particularly when, that individual works for a think tank. Yet think tankers' social media accounts were referenced twice. And then uh, the following. Furthermore, the lack of input from Global South is another cause for concern. Once in 2019, and again the month before the release of the OHCHR report, and twice since in January and May of 2023, there have been visits to the regions by Islamic leaders. It is well known, but worth noting, that no Islamic country has criticized China for human rights abuses, and despite many visits, none have alleged crimes against humanity by China. James highlights that only, quote, Western sources, unquote, pass the OHCHR gatekeepers, an indicator of Western bias often found in international law. 
One of the things we've noted in past programs, including for the records of 1178, 1179, and 1180, is that Xinjiang province has been the focal point of two different kinds of destabilization. One Islamist, the East Turkestan Islamic uh, front is uh, affiliated with Al-Qaeda and also uh, the Grey Wolves, uh, the secular pan-Turkist terrorists who also are part of the Turkish component of the Stay Behind or Gladio uh, networks. Uh, the Grey Wolves have also been uh, committing terrorist acts in and around Xinjiang. So there is definitely a terrorist destabilization there. Uh, the camps that were set up were set up with the approval of the United Nations. Uh, the uh, really, really very interesting here. Uh, other points of concern about the OHCHR report are the timing of its release and the lack of attribution, of attribution, excuse me. The High Commissioner, Michelle Bachelet, visited China, including Xinjiang. She had criticisms, but through the UN, reported her optimism for future cooperation with China. That optimism was dashed by this report being released around midnight on her last day in office, and without any signature or commentary from her. Interestingly, it is not signed by anyone, let alone anyone in authority. The authors, like many of the witnesses, remain anonymous. And the concluding paragraph, whatever is happening in Xinjiang, James points out that the reports published and widely amplified by media do not sufficiently make the case that international law is being breached there. They prove only that some people believe it may be. And we've been talking about the destabilization of Xinjiang, the use of the Uyghurs, uh, going all the way, I think it's operating for memory, for the record 248, Machiavelli 101. And we've spoken at length about uh, the weakness. And again, it's not the East Turkestan Islamic Movement Front. It's the East Turkestan Islamic Movement. And uh, again, we've spoken about uh, the Uyghurs uh, at length and in detail in, among other programs, for the record, 1178, 1179, and 1180. Uh, the whole ship war, so to speak, that's really what it is, has come into uh, widespread discussion this past week. Huawei, uh, the second largest smartphone maker in the world, has come up with a phone using a 14 nm, or excuse me, a 7 nm chip. Uh, that is a much more efficient chip than any they have been able to uh, produce, or China have been able to produce previously. I guess the lowest, the most efficient chip is a 3 nm chip. And uh, Huawei has just come up with a 7nm chip, and this has uh, produced uh, dyspeptic responses in the U.S. Two Republican lawmakers talk, uh, talk about an investigation of this and how could such a thing be happening, blah, blah, blah. Uh, a couple of articles uh, from the Moon of Alabama blog talking about uh, the failure to hinder China's development. It certainly has set them back, uh, but there are reasons why China ultimately probably will be able to overcome these setbacks, and uh, those will be discussed in the article. 
And this is from the Moon of Alabama blog, How Sanctions Failed to Hinder China's Development. And uh, the entire article and the link will be in the written description for for the record 1312. And uh, the, the blog post begins, These headlines related to China are demonstrating a very fast historic development. Why do the Chinese copy so much? International Herald Tribune, New York Times, July 25th, 2012. 26 things that China ripped off from the Insider, August 27th, 2013. Chinese tech firms are increasingly being copied by U.S., not just copying this from the street from June 28th of 2018. World record-breaking drone swarm from China puts on magical show. This from the Nervous, June 10th, 2018. Pentagon unveils replicator drone program to compete with China. Defense News, August 28th, 2023. From the last link. The Pentagon committed on Monday to fielding thousands of of attributable autonomous systems across multiple domains within the next two years as part of a new initiative to better compete with China. The program, dubbed Replicator, was announced by Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks, speaking at the National Defense Industrial Association's Emerging Technology in Wilmington. The program, Bub Replicator, was announced by Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks, speaking at the National Defense Industrial Association's Emerging Technologies Conference here. Quote, Replicator will galvanize progress in the too-slow shift of U.S. military innovation to leverage platforms that are small, smart, cheap, and many, unquote, Hicks said. And, uh, the moderator for uh, Moon of Alabama goes on to comment, China's industry developed by copying designs from other producers. But it only took a few years until it started to produce better or new products for new markets. Historically, this is nothing new. Germany's industrial development happened by ripping off British manufacturing processes and products. A few years later, industrial German products could compete with British ones, and the Brits started to copy German technology. I would add that American technology was deeply involved in that uh, as well, and perhaps even more so. Continuing, in 2018, China demonstrated large swarms of coordinated drones that could draw moving pictures in the sky. By the way, uh, the same thing has also been happening in the U.S., Now, the Pentagon wants to replicate such capabilities. Replicate, verb. If you replicate someone's experiment, work, or research, you do it yourself in exactly the same way. I have been given a DJI drone as a gift. It is an excellent product. It is light enough to stay within legal limits. It has good flight characteristics with excellent design and usability of hardware and software. It is reliable and comes at a reasonable price. Even the packaging was very well designed and underlined the value of the product. Aside from the way too expensive Apple products, I am not aware of many U.S. or European mass market products that come near to its overall quality level. If China's military gets drones of the quality that Chinese companies produce for consumers, it is likely a generation ahead of everyone else. I would put a question mark by that. I'd say there's certainly a possibility, but I would not put that as uh, a given. 
It is doubtful that the Pentagon, with its lengthy procurement processes and subject to congressional graft, will ever catch up with that. Well, again, I wouldn't bet on that either. That remains to be determined. In 2019, when Trump sanctioned Huawei by denying it access to modern chips, I wrote, quote, Huawei currently uses U.S.-made chips in many of its smartphones and networking products. But it has long expected the U.S. move and diligently prepared for it. Soon, U.S. chip companies will have lost all their sales to the second largest smartphone producer in the world of the world. The loss will not just, the loss will not be just temporary. It will become permanent. The moment of reckoning has come. Last week, Huawei presented its new cell phone Mate 60 Pro, or Mate 60 Pro, M-A-T-E, I don't know how it's pronounced. Since the sanctions were implemented, the company has developed genuinely new CPUs for cell phones, as well as for other equipment. Bloomberg reports of the teardown and preliminary analysis of the processor by a U.S. company. It is fairly, it is a fairly complicated system on a chip that is 100% made in China. And then, uh, quoting from uh, P.P. Wang, the Kirin 9000S teardown, so surprising, includes CPU, GPU, 5G modem, ISP, DSP, plus NPU, uh, with Ascend Lite, Tiny Cores, and TPU. All this squeezed into a 110 square millimeter die without stacking. Oh, 9000S in teardown testing showed better overall CPU performance and power consumption than 9000 and SD888 and had better peak CPU performance than SD8 Gen 1, all this without advanced packaging. Again, that's technical language, but uh, what's really important is that uh, they certainly, Huawei and China certainly are making uh, a significant degree of progress with their chips. They still lag behind the U.S., Taiwan, and South Korea, but there may be reason why they will be able to catch up. We'll talk about this later. By the way, um, the blog post here uh, talks about, uh, quotes, I should say, a publication called The National Interest. This is a very conservative publication, although not, you know, an extreme hysterical publication, uh, and the National Interest publication uh, has some very interesting observations as well. Uh, we're almost certainly not going to finish this in this program, so there will be a second part of this. And I think maybe I'll read some of the uh, National Interest paper just by way of contrast, because, again, that is a very conservative publication. The Moon of Alabama blog goes on the comment, Huawei could do this because it is an extraordinary company that was created by an extraordinary man. Rin, Rin Zhengfei, capital Z-H-E-N-G-F-E-I, founder and CEO of Chinese telecoms equipment maker Huawei Technologies, urged the U.S. sanctioned tech giant to maintain its technological lead in specific areas and focus on developing internal talent, according to his latest speech published in the company's employee website on Monday. One more time. Ren Zheng Fi, founder and CEO of Chinese telecoms equipment maker Huawei Technologies, urged the U.S. sanctioned tech giant to maintain its technological lead in specific areas and focus on developing internal talent, according to his latest speech published on the company's employee website on Monday. Huawei will say talent 
not U.S. dollars, unquote, Rand said in a speech, which he delivered on July 28th. Quote, we will try hard to lead in some business aspects globally, not all aspects. For our products, the boundary can be relatively narrow, but our research boundary can be wider, unquote. In his July speech, Wren said the best motivation for talented workers is passion. Quote, I think the material reward is not that important, he said. Quote, the first thing is that the worker finds a position he has passion for. If he can work on something he is interested in, he will have no regrets, unquote. Wren added that no one is good at all aspects of a business from day one, and that it takes time for people to grow their talents beyond a single specialized field. In time, quote, in time, you will see who becomes a leader. It's a natural process, he said. And then uh, Bernhard the moderator, that sounds like a company I would like to work for. Huawei's response to U.S. sanctions, one more time, Huawei's response to U.S. sanctions was not to give up, but to hire more people. And then, uh, quoting here, talent recruitment has long been important for Huawei. Ren initiated a program known as Top Minds, unquote, in 2019, just months after the company was blacklisted by the U.S. government. That recruitment drive later dubbed the Genius Youth Program, gave priority to candidates whose research had produced tangible and impactful results, and winners of top research honors, according to an, ad- an advertisement posted by Huawei on Weibo at the time. Huawei has 207,000 employees globally, according to its website, and 55.6% are research and development personnel. This is up from the end of 2021, when the company said it employed 195,000 people, 12,000 less, and with 54.8% of them in R&D. Again, that was in uh, 2021, the end of 2021, employing 195,000 people, 54.8% of them in R&B. Now they have 207,000 employees, and 55% are R&D. Bernhard goes on to comment, That is an extremely large research and development company to which a smaller production and sales arm is attached. Western Finance and business attitude would never allow for something like it. That is just one reason why the U.S. is losing the tech war with China. I would I would not say they're losing the tech war, although there is an interesting statement in that New York Times article which uh, spoke about supercomputers, and in 2020, China stopped uh, posting information about how many supercomputers they had developed. That also was after the uh, COVID attack had taken place. Uh, it remains to be seen whether uh, uh, China winds up losing the tech, or the U.S. winds up losing the tech war with China, or the other way around. And uh, again, I would not say that the U.S. is necessarily losing, but it remains to be seen. Western media, for the most part, has ignored a remarkable array of Chinese pilot products in industrial automation, executed primarily by Huawei, the world's largest maker of telecommunications infrastructure, and the target of a global suppression campaign by the U.S. Fully automated factories, mines, ports, and warehouses already are in operation, and the first commercial autonomous taxi service is starting up in Beijing. 
Wait, wait, Huawei officials say the company has 10,000 contracts for private 5G networks in China, including 6,000 in factories. Huawei's cloud division has just launched a software platform designed to help Chinese businesses build primary AI systems using their own data. This again proves that sanctions cannot end development when a certain base is already there. Now, the next couple of paragraphs are quoted from the National Interest magazine, a very conservative publication, but one that is not hysterical in its uh, conservatism. It's analytical. And the National Interest comments, and the, it, the uh, link is in the uh, written description for uh, this, this article. Restrictions on technology exports to China at best, are a stopgap. Eventually, China, which graduates more engineers each year than the rest of the world combined, will develop its own substitutes as ASML, the world's premier maker of chip lithography equipment, averse. Even as a stopgap go, though, the controls are failing. They impose high costs on China in several ways, but have not impeded the fourth industrial revolution. On the contrary, the limited adoption of fourth industrial revolution technologies by American industry is concentrated in firms that have major commitments to China. To maintain a technological edge over China, we will have to spend an additional several hundred billions of dollars, train a, train a highly skilled workforce, educate or import more scientists and engineers, and provide broader incentives to manufacturing. It is simply too late to try to suppress China. That is no longer within our power. What remains within our power is to restore American preeminence. And then uh, Bernhard goes on to comment, well, good luck with attempting that. And again, uh, this it, from the National Interest magazine, note this. Eventually, China, which graduates more engineers each year than the rest of the world combined, will develop its own substitutes as ASML, the world's premier maker of chip lithography equipment, averts. Um, in another blog post, uh, Bernhard, the, um, the moderator of the Movement Alabama blog, alleges that China graduates more engineers every year than the U.S. and Europe combined. The national interest says the entire world combined. Perhaps both are true. But uh, in any event, the point is that China is educating its people and they are graduating more engineers each year than uh, either the U.S. and Europe combined or the rest of the world combined. And uh, this is most unfortunate, aside from the fact that uh, a third world war may result from this. Uh, COVID-19 certainly resulted from that. Uh, the Chinese middle class uh, expanded from 4% of their population in 2002 to 31% in 2018. That is an almost eight-fold gap in 16 years, and that is creating a huge market uh, 88% of the Chinese population was at or below the poverty level in 1981. That was down to 0.7% by 2015. 
China is, uh, college graduates in China have increased by 73% in the last 10 years. And, uh, internet users, people who are online, uh, increased from 2% of the population in 2001 to 29% in 2009. There's probably way more than that now. The point being that China is a huge market and if instead of trying to uh, root out their technological advance, root and branch, uh, as the New York Times article noted, uh, if we were using them the way a, a true trading power should use a large market, we could be using them to sell a lot of stuff one way or another, including uh, chips, but that is not the way things are going. And uh, so we will see how that ends up. There's another good post. We're not going to get a chance to read this entire one, but uh, the media have been talking all about how, uh, you know, China, the, the Chinese economy is faltering, blah, 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 blah. Uh, in fact, the Chinese economy is doing quite well. It just is not, uh, it, 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 the first first part of this year was relatively slow. It also, uh, the economies of South Korea and Taiwan have also receded because the demand for internet products, online products, because of the lockdown for COVID is over. And again, Taiwan, their economy sank, sank 3% in the first quarter of this year. South Korea's is receding as well. But all we're hearing is, and this is from September 6th of 2023, media say gloom and doom in China. The New York Times and other Western media are running a doom and gloom in Xi's economy campaign. The latest entry is this piece. China's economic pain is a test of Xi's fixation with control. The core claim is this. Consumers are gloomy. Private investment is sluggish. A big property firm is near collapse. Local governments face crippling debt. Youth unemployment has continued to rise. The economic setbacks are rebuilding Mr. Xi's image of imperious command and emerging as perhaps the most sustained and thorny challenge to his agenda in over a decade in power. But let's look at the sources the author quotes to make up, quote, evidence, unquote, for his, his claims. Neil Thomas, a fellow at the Asia Society Center for China Analysis, said in an interview, Some experts say, Not all observers believe that China's economy is in a sharp downward spiral, but Chinese Internet users circulated an essay by a retired Hong Kong businessman, Lu Manhung. Lu Xijin, a retired senior Chinese government economist, said, said Alicia Garcia Herrero, the chief economist at Asia Pacific at Metaxas, on Metaxas, said Bert Hoffman, director of the East Asian Institute at National University of Singapore, said Mrs. Her- Garcia Herrero, the economist. Some Chinese economists and former officials have warned. Lu Jiehui, a former minister of finance, said in a recent video interview with Kei Xin, the author of the gloom and doom piece is Chris Buckley, the Times chief correspondent in China, where he has lived for most of the past 30 years. He also got booted out of China. Uh, Bernhard does not note this. Uh, I'm going to read this entire uh, post in our next uh, program. This is obviously going to take uh, two different 
uh, programs. But I want to note something uh, about this economic war and all of the, the doom and gloom that we're hearing about. Uh, there is an article in the phonearena.com blog, Here's Why Qualcomm is the Main Loser After Huawei Revealed at 7mm 5G Kirin Chip, unquote, by Alan Friedman, September 6th of 2023. And uh, it talks about uh, this was a big surprise, and again, uh, dyspeptic Republican Congress, and they'll talk for further sanctions and uh, investigations and uh, so forth. With China graduating that many engineers, uh, it shouldn't be all that surprising that they're able to make a lot of progress. And I'm going to close with this uh, couple of paragraphs from Forecasting China by Nathan Sperber from the New Left Review of September 8, 2023. Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman does not mince his words. The signs are now unmistakable. China is in big trouble. We're not talking about some minor setback along the way, but something more fundamental. The country's whole way of doing business, the economic system that has driven three decades of incredible growth, has reached its limits. You could say that the Chinese novel is about to hit its great wall, and the only question now is just how bad the crash will be. That was in the summer of 2013. China's GDP grew by 7.8% that year. In the decade since, its economy has expanded by 70% in real terms compared to 21% for the United States. China has not had a recession this century. By convention, two consecutive quarters of negative growth, let alone a crash. Yet every few years, the Anglophone financial media and its failed investors, analysts, and think tankers are gripped by the belief that the Chinese economy is about to crater. And the article goes on to, have to present some fairly uh, detailed analysis of just what the uh, media and the uh, press about, uh, the economic press about China is all about and to whom they cater. However, we're not going to have time to go into this in our next, uh, in this program. We'll continue with this. This is obviously going to have to be a two-parter. Uh, remember, the latest flash drive is now out. The previous flash drive was only current through, for the record, 12.15. I could not be more pessimistic, and uh, I think it is incumbent upon everyone who takes this broadcast seriously to get a hold of a copy of the latest flash drive. It is available for a very nominal tax-deductible fee. I get no money whatsoever from this. And, uh, again, if you want to... Uh, tell your great-grandchildren why they're living in a rusted-out Chevy sport van and uh, baffling former Army Rangers for rat-killing turf, well, that uh, 32 gigabyte flash drive will be a good vehicle for helping to explain that. And uh, recall also, there was a link, there's a link that will enable you to get that at the top of each written for-the-record description and each food-for-thought post. Also, there's a link at the top of each of those that will enable you to uh, subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of, for the record, by sister station, WFMU. This concludes, for the record, program number 1312. The update on the destabilization of China, part one. This is being recorded on September 11th of 2023. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.